This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Not a long time, but uh, one month, the people say it's done, it's done. And all the time I said, I'm sorry, but today I'm going to give you another good news. The champion is still Liverpool. They have the crown. But we are close to taking him up. And this is the, the idea. And uh, like we are in all competitions, now is come back to, to Manchester, recovery tomorrow, and tomorrow we'll start to prepare Champions League first leg game. This is the, the situation, and after we will see what happens. Until the end, in two months, one month and a half, two months, uh, what we have done. But a part of that, I don't know how many titles or what we are going to win. What we have done so far is incredible. In this year, like a lockdown without spectators, like you need the motion sometimes to lift, you know, to be on the game. And every game we were there, every single game. And we won a lot of games. And in this period, it's quite, quite remarkable. I will never forget this season. This players has done for our club, never. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. Pep Guardiola's Man City now just four wins away from clinching the Premier League title. Thanks for joining me on the Monday show. It's me, Ross, uh, along with the guys. I've got Nicholas Anil, sports writer extraordinaire here. Hello, Nick. Hello, Ross. How are you doing? I'm all right. And I've got Arvin Sidhu. All dolled up in his Leeds United. If you can see this picture, actually look at the picture of the podcast and you know what I mean. Arvin Sidhu is here. Hello, Arvin. Hello, uh, it's good to be here. I wonder if uh, Mino Raiola and his uh, Arvin Chalvin is going to make a tour on our show since they're touring around Europe. They should stop by in our, our show as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I heard they, they, they're talking to West Brom now. That's the latest club, according to, <laughs> according to someone on Twitter. And by that someone, I mean Craig Wilkie. Hello, Craig Wilkie. Good evening. Wait, what? Arvin supports Leeds? <laughs> You'd never guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tweet us at BFM Radio. Find us individually on Twitter. Also, follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Uh, we heard Pep Guardiola at the start. He is over the moon with his city side this season. Um, the quadruple dream is on, Nicholas Arnil. Uh, they need four more wins. What is it? 11 points from seven remaining matches for the third crown in four years. What, what a team. Yeah. I, I think we can look past the, the league title. It's now con- concentrating on, on getting the other three. The treble is very much intact uh, uh, this month. You know, uh, In fact, if you look at City's fixtures, uh, it's an extremely challenging run of fixtures. You know, Borussia Dortmund in, in midweek, and then they've got the uh, um, FA Cup semi-final against uh, Chelsea. And also the Carabao Cup final against um, Spurs. So, you know, biggest month of the season for Manchester City. But on the evidence of uh, this performance against uh, Leicester City, you would not put anything uh, past them, Ross. They were just simply sensational in every sense, in every blade of the pitch. You know, they just out, outclassed uh, uh, this, this Leicester side who, who, you know, were doing so well themselves. Yeah. You know, yeah. if there was any team you would expect, give City a, a, you know, a run for their money. It would be this Leicester side. But you know the whole ploy of trying to hit City on the counter-attack just simply did not work. In the end, City could have scored more than two goals. You know, they're just bulldozing their way through this season and it's just a matter of time. Um, I, I, I won't be surprised to see them you know, go on a complete perfect record uh, this month. Uh, but what a great start to April. Yeah. For them. It's, it's commendable the, the, the way they keep churning out the wins. Almost robot-like. But um, that Kevin De Bruyne pass, Arvin Sidhu, that's as close to football porn as we get. Yeah, it is. And then and, and there, there, there was one period of the game, I think it was between minute 19 to 25th. It was six minutes and about four seconds. At that moment, there was a highlight that came up. City had 100% of possession. Leicester couldn't get the ball from them for almost six and a half minutes. Now, that's absolutely mental when you think about how they retain the ball and City and how they play. But it's come to a point now, Ross, that you take out Kevin De Bruyne, it still works because yeah. you got Gundogan. You take out Gundogan, probably it'll still work because Kevin De Bruyne will be back or someone else will be back. Even if you take out Ruben Diaz, you've got John Stones who's revitalized, who it'll probably work as well. 15 consecutive away wins. I mean, the longest away win, I think, in English football. Um, it's just it's just a machine. It's a machine that keeps churning out results after results after results. And on the day itself, Sergio Goro was given an opportunity and he wasn't even their best player. I thought he looked he looked a little bit, a little bit off. 
Mm. And when you can afford to have Sergio Aguero off and everyone else show up, it's a scary, it's a scary proposition. It could have been more. The, the scoreline could have been more for me, but I would have Yeah, that, that's the right word, scary, when you face this Man City side. But for Leicester City, I mean, their master plan is based on the, the counter-attack. Uh, they, they couldn't put that into action. They, they had just the two shots on target, uh, Craig Wilkie. But all that aside, they're still in a good position because of all the results this weekend. It's still in their hands to, to get this uh, a top four spot, right? Yeah, very much still is in their hands. And I, I hope for a slightly better game overall, if I'm, if I'm being honest. I mean, absolute credit to City, just as the guys were saying. I mean, the way they've played this whole season and, and we saw that again. Leicester, I thought, might take the game to them a little bit more, especially at home. There was that big moment, wasn't there, just towards the end of the first half where Vardy had the goal ruled yeah. offside, and it, and it was correctly ruled offside. But it was one of those situations where exactly where you would expect Vardy to be, and usually he's the master at time in those runs. He just went a little bit too early on that occasion. Had that gone in, maybe we'd have been looking at a different game. But Leicester, they've just got to focus on those games that they will be expected to win. And there's, there's more of those coming up than would have been the case against City at the weekend. Rodgers, I think, has got that squad together. He's galvanized them. They're playing in a system. They're still playing some good football, albeit it was hard to express that at some points, as Aaron was saying, against the machine that is City. But I think he also needs maybe a couple of players back. Yeah. Harvey Barnes has been a miss since, yeah. since he's been out. He's, he's become so important to how they play and giving them a bit of pace out wide. Madison, of course, is coming back as well. He's had his injury problems. So they've definitely had to contend with a, with a few injuries over the course of the season. So if they can get those players back and fit, I'm not sure how many before the end of the season, then they will be in a, in a really good position. And I think what we saw over the course of the weekend is that, as you were mentioning, other teams around them are going to drop points as well. Yeah. So that race now for the four is, is really hotting up to be something quite interesting. Yeah. Well, well done. Well done, Man City. More than nine fingers on the trophy, I would think. Uh, all right. Perhaps the biggest shock of the weekend. We were talking about teams around City dropping points. Chelsea were playing the second bottom side at the weekend. And it ended up Chelsea 2, West Brom 5, Big Sam. Nicholas Arnil just got bigger. <laughs> just when you think you can write off a team in the Premier League, you know, the likes of West Brom go and pull off something like this. You know, and it, it wasn't just the manner of, of, of the, the goals that they scored. It was the, the sheer beauty of every goal that they yeah. scored. You know, it wasn't your tapping, you know, it wasn't jostling and, you know, getting a lucky break at the end. It was magnificent goals. You know, the lob by Pereira, you know, the cushion finish uh, for the third goal. Uh, and even Diani, you know, uh, completed a well-worked finish. And, and you mentioned Sam Allardyce. I just like how he just said, you know, cross-legged when the fifth goal went in, you know. And he celebrated as if he expected West Brom to score five goals against Chelsea, you know. He looked so easy with the performance, you know, like as though, as though it wasn't a shock uh, to this West Brom side. But, you know, uh, even though Chelsea got a man sent off him, Thiago Silva, um, I, I don't think we can take anything away from this West Brom performance. It was unlike uh, a performance, any performance that we've seen from them uh, throughout this season. In fact, the only time they scored three goals, uh, which is the most they scored this season, was back in September. So they eclipsed that and scored five against the Chelsea side, who have been unbeaten against Thomas Tuchel, Thomas Tuchel in 14 games. was simply extraordinary. You know, you look at the league table and they're still second for bottom. There's still so much work to do, but on the back of this performance, you know, if they can take this performance and bring it on to the final um, eight, nine games, you know, you, you really give them a fighting chance to stay in the league. Yeah, Edward Mendy, I don't think has ever picked out the ball five times. <laughs> well, certainly not in his English career anyway. But um, West Brom, Mateus Pereira, Arvin Sidhu, he, he looks head over heels, a different level West Brom player to the rest of them. You'd expect, I mean, despite this 5-2 win, it's probably come too late for the baggies. They'll probably still go down. And you'd expect, you'd expect Mateus Pereira to move on to a bigger club, wouldn't you? You would. Uh, and Big Sam did come. When, when he first took the job, he actually came on and said that he's looking forward to seeing what Mateus Pereira can bring because he's clearly a more skillful player than the rest of the bunch that they've got. Uh, Nick does brought a good point about the goals that they've scored in this game, the, the five, and then they scored three. But 32% of their goals this season has, has come against Chelsea. If they just had spread that out a little bit more <laughs> against other teams, they probably would be in a better position that they are in right now. 
but on the day itself, it's it, like I have to echo what Nick said. It was so unlike West Brom. They were well wearing that green and yellow kit, and it was like prime Brazil. Some of that stuff that they were scoring, that that Callum <laughs> Robinson goal. I'm thinking to myself, is this really is this really West Brom under under Big Sam? Uh, but yeah, I in Pereira probably just to go back to what you say could could get a better move. There are a couple of other players in that squad. Kyle Bartley, I think, has come in and and, and done a good enough job at the back, while the others around him have let him down a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I just still feel it's a bit, little bit too late for them. Uh, but it's every team gets its, its its day right out in the sun, and this was clearly West Brom's one when they look back at the season. Yeah, we might have to end the show here because one of one of the guys just compared West Brom to Brazil. I, I think <laughs> we we should just end it here. Go home. And, no, um, at thirty six years and one hundred and ninety three days, Thiago Silva became the oldest player to be sent off in the Premier League. He beats John Terry. Yes, as the other fella. Uh, I mean, for Chelsea, this was this a wake-up call for for Thomas Tuchel, Craig Wilkie. What was it, or was it just a bad day at the office? It's a very good question. I I don't think any of us saw the West Brom performance coming Nobody. in the way that they attacked and the goals that they scored, just as the guys were saying. But equally, nobody could have predicted that Chelsea would collapse in the way that they did. Now. Take the sending off in, into the equation, fine. And it, it was a very rash challenge from Thiago Silva for such an experienced player in that position where he wasn't really under exactly. any great danger, to be honest. There was, there was no need to dive in like that. The, the, the thing for me is that and we, we've watched and admired at least the defensive shape that Chelsea have been building up under Tuchel. And I was surprised, especially given the fact that they, they were already a goal up. I thought they'll just consolidate it. He'll, he'll just tweak the system a little bit. They'll make themselves very tight. They'll make themselves very compact. But it didn't happen at all. And the real turning point in the game was that last sort of two or three minutes of the first half and into kind of injury time during that period where West Brom scored a couple of very good goals, but also from a defensive point of view. You know, the first one is a, is a long ball straight from the goalkeeper that's just sailed over everybody's head. So from, from a defensive, from Chelsea defensive point of view, it's, it's a very, very poor goal to concede. And then you just look throughout the team and... I. I'm looking one to 11 and there's probably two players who come out with, with pass marks. Yeah. I thought Kovacic had a good game. Yeah, And I thought Mount, when he came on at halftime to freshen things up, he actually looked lively, of course, got the goal, you know, at least brought a bit of energy to the performance. But, but the rest, you know, up front, they were, they were completely toothless. And just something, something would something gone wrong. You can argue about whether it was, you know, a lot, not a lot of time to prepare after coming back from the international break and so on. But that's, that's true for everybody. Right. And and I, I just wonder if if Tuchel, I hope it is a wake up call for him, because I think, you know, those players have underperformed sometimes in one off games. I saw yeah. that under Lampard and the, you don't you don't just lose that habit. Now, they, they lost it fairly, you know, pretty spectacularly how badly they played. Um, but he, he has to look at those performance levels week in, week out, especially going forward. And they created very little because West Brom were committing players forward. So that actually was an opportunity for Chelsea to get back into the game. But they, they didn't ever look like coming back. West Brom were actually very comfortable in that second half. Yeah. Um, all, all right. Um, Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea will have to turn their attention to the Champions League. We'll talk about that later on. Continuing our look at the weekend's action. Arsenal nil, Liverpool 3. Nicholas Anil, this was a classic example of one side's insistence on trying to play out the back. Even though they keep getting caught time and time and time again. It's like watching children trying to learn something and, and just failing miserably. Yeah, I don't think Arteta is going to change that. You know. it's, it's up <laughs> to the players to execute it to perfection. And, you know, they've, they've done it for the, for the second consecutive game, you know. Uh, against West Ham, we saw how, how uh, they paid the price. And now again, but putting that, that goal aside, you know, this was a, an abysmal... Arsenal side versus an excellent uh, Liverpool performance, you know, who are better in every every aspect of, of the game, in every position. Uh, until Arteta himself came out and said, you know, Liverpool should have scored more than three goals. You yeah. know, when, when, when your own manager concedes uh, a statement like this, you know, it's a reflection of how badly uh, the team had, had performed. Um, and it was, a, it was a, a performance that was, I thought, uncharacteristic because when you look at the Arsenal squad, you know, they had put out all their, their, their biggest guns, you know. Uh, the most expensive starting lineup, uh, I think they put out this season with Pepe, Abumayang, uh, and also uh, Lacazette. 
uh, in the team, you know. But up front, they were just toothless. And, you know, Liverpool were allowed to, to basically beat their time and, you know, eventually get the three goals. It, it was only a matter of time uh, that they were going to score. And, um, you know, as Arteta rightly pointed out, it should have been, it should have been more than three. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp was so confident he played Borat in goal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm referring to the Tash. <laughs> we'll, we'll come to Liverpool in a sec, but Arvin, is is there something intrinsically wrong with this Arsenal side? Arteta's had a lot of time now. Um, they don't look like they're going to make top six this season. No, Arsenal and mistakes, sort of like Romeo and Juliet. They're made for each other, but it's going to end up tragically because that's what it keeps happening season on season. And you looked at that front line, right? We looked at Lacazette, you looked at Aubameyang, you looked at Nicolas Pepe. Most Arsenal fans, if you think about it, they'll probably climb up for the likes of Emil Smith-Rowe, Martinelli and Saka because they would deliver more than that really expensive backline. On the day itself that they were paying tribute to to David, the late David Rocastle and also Claude from AFTV that, that passed away especially David Rockcastle, he would have been ashamed looking at that because none of those players looked like they wanted to play for that shirt. And it's come to the point that, okay, yes, Ateta came in, we saw some nice things. He's made them a little bit better defensively. But in the first 50 games, he's lost more compared to Unai Emery. So how long more do you do you trust the process when you can't deliver what is needed? He's cleared that wood. He's brought in some players that he wanted. How long more do you trust the process? United has done well with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, so maybe they might think we'll give him a bit more time and he'll come good. Yeah. yeah. But on on the on, on the evidence of of this this weekend, it was clearly Arsenal's worst performance of the season. There was not one player. Maybe Thomas Partey was the only one that I thought was trying to hold things together in midfield. But you can't expect one guy to hold what else everything else is happening and coming it forward. But everything else was just really really bad, and Arsenal fans have just had a really bad weekend with all that's happened. All right, I tell you what, Craig, I'm going to pause you there. I know what you want to say. We're going for our first break. Stick around, back right after this. They are off and running in 2021. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Well, the rules have been clarified and and they've looked to to balance things in a fairer fashion. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back talking about the weekend's football, the return of the EPL. Yeah. Uh, Nick Arvin and Craig Wilkie here. We, we, we were talking just before the break about Arsenal nil, Liverpool 3. We heard the Arsenal perspective from Nick and Arvin. Um, for Liverpool, lots of pluses. The Kabak and Phillips partnership, clean sheet. And the guys on Friday, Craig, were saying... A fit Diego Jota is going to serve Liverpool really, really well in this run-in. And wow, that just came true, didn't it? Oh, it certainly did. I, just in almost every way, it was what Liverpool needed from a performance and a, and a result perspective. And those names that you mentioned, firstly, because of the problems that Liverpool have had in 2021 especially, the first priority has been to tighten up at the back, to actually get a regular centre-back pairing playing together building some confidence in each other, getting that trust, getting that rhythm of playing together week in, week out. And finally, we've seen that over the last few weeks and it's starting to pay dividends, I think. Also, the fact of having Fabinho back in the midfield just provides some of that screen and protection to the back four, which has been missing and that made a huge difference. But then you get further up the field and Jota, as you say, wow, I think from day one at Liverpool, the thing that's impressed me about him is that he's he's looked as though he belongs there. And you can see with certain players that if, when they make that step up and play at a higher level with better players around them, that they improve. And you can see that they can live at that level. And, and, and he's, he's believed in himself from day one. He's obviously had the back end of Klopp. And every time he's come on and done a job, I think he's played fantastically well for Liverpool. Of course, he had a great international break where he was in, in fine form for, for his national side. And he's, he's brought that form, form back to the, the club scene. And Given the, the fixtures that are coming up and the race for that top four, what an important player he could potentially be over the next, next month or two for Liverpool. And, and yeah, a lot of positives. Also, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who, of course, controversially left out of the, the England squad. And I think he maybe answered a few critics with a, with a very... The, I mean, the ball in for the, the Jota header was just... Super. As, as good a cross as... I mean, it was Beckham-esque, wasn't it? It was just yeah. so, so magnificently flighted. And uh, it, was, it was interesting also, I think, the, what Klopp said about him before the game. He was trying to be very respectful of Southgate, but saying, essentially, this is the best right back in the world we've seen for the last couple of seasons. And, he, you know, 
Form may be temporary, but that kind of class is permanent. Well, well, this is it. Uh, I, I, Southgate seems to put Reese James ahead of Trent Alexander. I, yeah, that, that's a whole different show altogether. <laughs> um, now, Liverpool's top four dreams well and truly alive. I, I think they're just two points off Chelsea now. Uh, lots of games. Well, not many games to go, but it's certainly getting exciting. So we'll leave Liverpool for now. They're in the Champions League later. Uh, let's talk about Man United. Uh, they beat Brighton 2-1, not for the first time this season. They come from behind to win. Not for the first time this season, Nicholas Arnold. They absolutely sucked the hairy root in the first half. And then just kind of come good in the second half. <laughs> uh, you can criticize Solskjaer and go, listen, you're winning too many games from falling behind first. But that's kind of like a weird criticism. <laughs> Exactly. Would you mind it, Ross? Would you mind? You know, uh, oh, it's you not know, good for the United yeah, have come back. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good, but it gets the job done. Three points in the bag, you know. Uh, United fans, I think, are beginning to get accustomed to to how uh, their team are performing. You know, not playing, not playing their best, but eventually getting the grinding out victories. And this this sort of performance is something that uh, United fans haven't seen for a long time. Not not this season, uh, not especially last season, uh, when, when they were just simply not getting the wins that they were supposed to get. Um, I, I thought Brighton gave them a really good fight. Uh, yeah. they, should have, they should have come away with at least a point you know, for the amount of uh, effort they had put in, uh, how they pressed United. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, quality tool at the, end of the, at the end of the day. And you know, it, it fell to, to Mason Greenwood, who was uh, deservedly uh, United's best player. Uh, the only thing that I thought uh, could have been more uh, was the fact that uh, Pogba and uh, Fernandez uh, did not perhaps did not do enough uh, to find uh, 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 Greenwood uh, in more spaces because I thought he could have had uh, uh, more chances to score because he was making all these runs behind the Brighton defense that was going unnoticed. Uh, but at the end of the day, fair credit to him, you know, he got he got a late winner. Uh, United are the happy bunch. Uh, Brighton will be really aggrieved uh, that they did not come away with uh, something. Yeah, I mean Graham Potter. And Brighton were actually looking for three wins on the bounce. Um, we, we've, been, we've talked, we've bigged up Graham Potter all season. We, we all here on both shows actually believe in the Graham Potter way. I put it to you, Arvin Sidhu. What if Graham Potter had a better set of players to work with? Say, for example, he was managing, I don't know, one of the North London sides. <laughs> do, do you reckon he, you know what I mean? It, it seems like... I don't know. There's something there, right? Yes, there is. Uh, one thing that you always see with Brighton is the, the expected goals uh, stat that, that Opta picks up. The expected goal stats are always usually really high. What that means is that the, the, the build-up is really good, but then the, the, the end product isn't really there. Now, against United, the concerning thing was in the second half, the expected goal stats was zero. So then it brings you the question is, is Graham Potter very underrated or is he a lot of fluff? I've actually seen on Twitter where some people actually feel that after Gareth Southgate, Graham Potter should be considered for the England job because he can look at what he can do with all those bunch of players and the right way of playing football. Um, it's a tough one with Graham Potter. I, 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 I'm a bit divided with him. I think he he sets up his team to play the right way. He gets good personnel in. I thought, I thought Weltman was a really good buyer at the beginning of the season. He did really well to keep Ben White there and Ben White has kind of repaid him there. Uh, but then the, the end product isn't there. So uh, what, what, what do you really want? Would, would Chris Hutton have, have probably brought them a bit more high in the league? He could have. So it really depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for more progression on the pitch, potentially maybe Graham Potter. But if you're looking for results, he just hasn't convinced me that results-wise he's there yet. But like you said, better squad, better team players, he might, he might be able to do it. All right. Let, let, um, United are in action in the Europa League. We'll talk more about them later. Uh, Newcastle 2, Spurs 2. We built this one up on Friday by saying that uh, the losing team's going to have the fans calling for the manager's head. I think both sets <laughs> actually <laughs> might be doing it. Um, Craig Wilkie, there was an interview with Jose Mourinho post-match and the, the reporter said to Jose... Um, Mr. Mourinho, most of your teams have been able to hold on to leads quite easily in the past. And Jose's reply is going to shock many. He said, same manager, different players. I mean, is that not throwing, what, the entire 23-man squad under the big bus or what? 
Yeah, well, of course, historically, he used to like to park the bus, and now he's throwing his players under it. So he's maybe, maybe that's... He's over them now. <laughs> maybe that's how he's trying to tighten things up. It was an extraordinary interview, and you can be sure with Mourinho that it was deliberate and it was calculated. He doesn't generally go out after a game and you know just say whatever comes into his mind or, or off the cuff. So he clearly wants to deliver that message to the players, but he knows that those questions are being asked of himself, not just his players. And, and the responsibility has to be shared. And I've always been one that's okay with managers giving their players a bit of stick. I think sometimes it's, it's legitimate, you know, and fans do it, uh, owners and boards do it. And I think the manager's entitled to do it on occasion. But the question is, when do you do it? How do you do it? What effect is it going to have on players when you do it? And for Mourinho, sometimes I think the way that he's done it, for all that he's been labeled as this master of the mind games and so on, sometimes it hasn't worked to his advantage. And that's perhaps one of the reasons why we see after two or three seasons, the Mourinho effect starts to tail off at certain clubs. Now, maybe it's happened even earlier in Spurs, but that relationship, that trust between manager and players can, can break down quite easily if, if the dressing room starts to feel like the manager's being unduly harsh, especially publicly. But he had, you know, Spurs, it was, it was a close game. And actually, Newcastle deserve a lot of credit for it and the way that they came back towards the end. But Spurs, once they got ahead, should have had enough to see that out. Exactly. Really, they should have done. That's, wait, wait. I mean, that's... Yeah. There's, there's enough quality in that squad. I thought Son was very quiet when he came on. Kane had a great game and he sort of showed the form that he has throughout much of the season. But something collectively in that squad... Is, is just off. And, and it was almost summed up when, when Bale came off the bench and he had that opportunity for the free kick. kick. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, he, and he blasted it almost out of the stadium. I after, thought he was playing you know, foot golf. Exactly. <laughs> Give, giving it a hard, a hard stare in the big build-up. Um, so there's... Every time you start to think that Spurs are, are clicking or on the verge of clicking, they put in a performance like that and something starts to go wrong. So there, there are bigger issues there. And whether that's in terms of personnel, whether that's in terms of Mourinho remains to be seen. But I, I do believe that there's going to be changes at that club in the summer. I don't think some of those players will stay. Kane is the big question mark, obviously. Yeah. And so Spurs may well be faced with a rebuilding job again come the summer, with or without Mourinho. I, I know before kickoff, if you went to Steve Bruce and, and the Newcastle team and you said, listen, a point against Spurs, <laughs> they would have bitten your hands off. But Newcastle had 17 shots from inside the penalty area. Nick, do you reckon there'll be a they, they, they should come away thinking we should have won that? Newcastle had chances to 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 win it even before that. You know, Joe Linton had a great chance. You know, left unmarked and he could not finish that chance off. Um, and uh, you know, Saint Alan Maximan when he came on, you know, really uh, added a lot of. Loris had a, a couple of, of flying saves, didn't he? Yeah, uh, Loris was magnificent. You know, to keep uh, to keep Newcastle at bay as well. So if you look, you look back at the Newcastle performance uh, this season, I, I think you've got to give Steve Bruce, uh, you know, credit to a certain extent because he took over this job, uh, you know, on the back of um, uh, what was his name again? Uh, the former Pochettino. Newcastle, not Pochettino. The Rafa, former, Rafa. Oh, sorry, Rafa. Yeah, yeah exactly. Rafa, Rafa. Yeah. The job Rafa had done last season, you know, was was just you know so good for for the Newcastle side, and there were a lot of. Uh, uh, expectations to a certain extent for Steve Bruce to emulate that feat. And, you know, uh, fans started giving him stick at the start of the season, even before the season had started as well. And he did not have such a big core of players to work with. Uh, but at the end of the day, you look at them, you know, they, they are above, they're keeping their heads above water. Uh, they're still trying to stay in the league. And it's performance like this, which is going to eventually keep them in the Premier League. All right. Um, Steve Bruce must have really thick skin that's all I can say um, another break stick with us back with more right after this immediate thrust recognisable certainty and a nasty dig in the ribs off the ball on BFM 89.9 five yards out unchallenged unmarked makes absolutely no mistake off the ball on BFM 89.9 Hey, thanks for sticking with us, Craig Wilkie, Arvin Sidhu, Nicholas Anil here looking at uh, the Premier League football for the weekend, the return of the Premier League. We, we talked about the big games. In fact, they're all big. Uh, let's clear up some of the other results for you. Aston Villa 3, Fulham 1 was a chance for Fulham to actually get out of the bottom three. They were 1-0 up. After 77 minutes, Fulham were 1-0 up, thanks to Mitrovic. They were out of the bottom three. But after 81 minutes, they are now three points behind Newcastle, having played a game more. Uh, it's a funny old game, Nicholas Arnil, isn't it? 
Yeah, indeed. Um, but I think Fulham only have themselves to blame. Um, you know, they took the lead. They seemed comfortable, and then they just capitulated. Uh, and the manner in which they considered the goals, uh, it 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 just you know uh begs the question: Do they have the lasting power to stay in the league? You know, this is the this is the crunch time. This is the last. This is the final stretch. This is the last eight nine games. This is where you really prove your metal. You know, you stick it out. You park the bus. You park how many buses it takes. You know to get a result across the line. But uh, Fulham just did not seem to have that willpower to do so, and it was just so evident in the goals that uh, you know uh, they conceded to Aston Villa. Uh, uh, Trezeguet, you know, was left completely unmarked. You know, to stay home the equalizer and then uh, an individual error cost them the uh, second goal. And when the third goal was tapped in by Oli Watkins, you could just see the life sucked out of the yeah. Fulham squad. You know, they did not seem to have the fight. And you wonder, you know, they did so well for the first 77 minutes. Uh, and, you know, it was just a complete contrast uh, performance in the last uh, 12, 13 minutes. And, you know, performance like this, you know, is not going to bode well for them at all because, you know, they're just trading on fine lines at this point. Yeah, I, I wonder if those 13 minutes have just literally ended Scott Parker and Fulham's season. Uh, from a Villa point of view, um, it was a good win. Tyrone Mings uh, accounted for his mistake, Craig Wilkie. They bounced back well, and they did it without their talisman, Jack Grealish. So all in all, it's been a good season, right? Yeah, well, it's been a strange season for Villa. At times, they've hit such incredible heights, and in other times, they've played relatively poorly but they're still picking up results and that's the thing that they'll take out of that game because as Nick was saying for for 77 minutes Fulham were by far the better side but Mitrovic had one of his best games the season caused all sorts of problems for the the Villa back line but the real thing was that Fulham couldn't capitalize and get a second goal ahead if they got it to 2-0 I think they would have seen that game out but that's where you have to give some credit to Villa that even late in the game, they were still pressing forward. They were still trying to get something out of it. And the substitutions and, changed the game for Villa. Yeah, exactly. Once, yeah. once Trezeguet came on and they, they started committing players forward in, in, in much greater numbers. And like you say, without some of the real creativity that have maybe carried their season, you know, Grealish has been such an important player for them. And when he's missing, you can see that they just don't look the same side. I know Barkley was on the bench as well. So even he's the one who might come in and provide some of that creativity. Um, but they, they found a way to, to dig out a result. And, and that's maybe the difference between that level. You know, Fulham, who played some good stuff and have been in better form in the last couple of months. But do you have that quality at both ends to really make something count over the course of 90 minutes, not just 77 minutes? Yeah, yeah. And, and Villa had that little bit of extra quality at the end. And Watkins, actually, I thought, had a good game. You know, he worked really hard up front and got his, reserve, got his uh, deserved reward at the end. So, yeah, Villa will say not the best performance, but three points and we go on. Yeah. All eyes on Fulham when they next play. Now, I wonder what what state of mind they're going to be in. Uh, Leeds United won the Yorkshire Derby 2-1 against Sheffield United. Leeds scored early in each half. Arvin, that was a, a, a massive win. Bearing in mind the next three Leeds United games are Man City, Liverpool and, and Man United. Much needed three points. Much needed. And it, it fit the sentiment of the Yorkshire Derby. I mean, it, there was a lot of emotions going into that game because the Leeds players wore black armbands for the, for the late Peter Lorimer. Uh, they also recognised the two fans that were killed in Turkey about 21 years ago, Chris Loftus and Kevin Spade. So there was a lot of sentiment going into that derby. Um, the, the Yorkshire Derby with Sheffield United and Leeds United, not, it's not really traditionally a very heated or there's not a lot of hate in that rivalry it's more of a competitive rivalry but Leeds have done the double on them this season so that's good uh but now with 42 points Leeds will stay up um you're right the next three matches going to make very interesting reading it was it was quite it's quite uh I would think respectful how Pep Guardiola came out and said that the games that between Borussia Dortmund home and away the last team I wanted to play with was Leeds in the middle because he knows Leeds will take it to them and run them run them on the pitch uh, but Leeds needed this. Uh, and Marcelo Bielsa came out and said that there's still all to play for. We still The players are coming out and still saying that we still need to show up. So he will not let the players let up. And I, I feel I fancy our chances to get a couple of points in the next three tough ones as well. Yeah, I mean, just looking, I mean, assuming everything goes well, which it probably will, but looking into the, into the summer a little bit, Nicholas Arnil, someone like Rafinha is going to be hot on most top clubs' lists. That, I mean, you, you know what I mean? He's going he's gonna to add the X factor to, to most big clubs and he's going to be sought after. Are you worried? Come summer, 
there is there is some sort uh, to be concerned uh, but i i don't think uh, rafinha um, will make any move you know because uh, he's come on not just as a signing you know he's convinced that this is a project not not a short term project this is a long term project so you know i i don't think he will need any convincing to stay on what leeds would need is perhaps more reinforcement we've been uh, missing a solid playmaker you know calvin phillips has been in and out of the squad this season so you know he's not been able to assert his authority throughout the season um that and perhaps another striker but i think all in all it has been a fantastic season so far and as arvin mentioned there's more to come from this leeds united side they're not just going to fade away just like that because if you look at the level of performance it has never faded from the first game against liverpool you know it's always been 110% running till you've got no blood in your legs you know for the 90 minutes and it's going to be the same right up till the end of the season so um i don't think we have any concern of losing any players it's just uh, who we bring on for the uh, new season yeah yeah all right um well the next three games are going to be massive for leeds united but thankfully they are nicely in mid table safety all right this is probably the strangest game of the weekend southampton 3 burnley 2 you don't expect first of all burnley to score two goals they did you definitely don't expect the Sean Dyche side to succumb to a two goal lead and lose 3-2 Craig Wilkie what's going on here this is a ding dong game it's madness <laughs> it was it, it was all sorts of things actually just just a general point i i thought over the piece the games were really good this weekend yeah, so a were. lot of really really attacking entertaining football international to, football sucks <laughs> <laughs> you know to to Dez's point which he often makes about our teams willing to come out and you know try and win games and to to play football in the right way and i thought throughout this premier league weekend we saw that every team was trying to win every team was trying to push forward and that's why we got some some great and some crazy games like like this one as you say where to even start i mean burnley interestingly burnley in the last couple of months have have really started playing a bit more progressively yeah. i i don't know if that's a, a very deliberate decision that's been taken on the training ground that um Sean Dyche wants wants to change the style of play a little bit. I mean he still keeps with his kind of 4-4-2 a little bit rigid from that point of view, but he's he's looking for them to get forward clearly more more regularly and with with greater numbers than has been the case. And when it works as we saw in the the early part of the game, they've been capitalizing on that and scored a couple of good goals and the penalty it was a penalty, so it was and it was well dispatched. And and the second one, again direct football, but direct football can work when it's when it's played well and it was a great little flick on from Wood and then a a fantastic finish and credit to Southampton actually because they have had their ups and downs this season and they've you know sometimes they've just not not been at it and when you when your team is maybe struggling for confidence a little bit they went on a great run prior to the international break to go 2-0 down at home it'd be very very easy for the heads to go down and just kind of fade out of the game but but they didn't at all Armstrong scored a great goal to get them back into it and then Ings you know he's such a talisman yeah. for them and it, it, it was you know his his assist for the armstrong goal was magnificent and then the goal that he scored himself and when you have a player like that who can just create something out of nothing then you're always going to have a chance and that's how it proved to be for southampton so great game of football yeah i tell you what what i said about rafinha leeds you can probably say the same about ings uh, southampton he probably deserves another chance at a top club because he He looks like the complete package he does Danny Ings. All right then, that's your weekend's EPL. We're going for our final break. When we come back, we're going to look forward to the football in there are two more league games and and this European football talk about. That's all next. No happy return but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. For this season, off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back. Craig Wilkie, Arvin Sidhu, Nicholas Anil here to preview your midweek action. Football nearly every night this week, actually. Um, tonight, two games. 1 a.m. actually, Tuesday morning. It kicks off Everton against Crystal Palace. Both teams would have seen... what's what's gone on over the weekend um three successive defeats actually everton before the international break kind of ended their hopes of a of a really really fine season but it, it's still not over they're still there and thereabouts if they can keep winning i mean palace on the other hand there's a lot of talk that they want the old regime out and 
it doesn't make for a good build up to the to this particular game, does it, Arvin Sedu? Doesn't uh, I think Palace are uh, in a more uncertain project that they have. There's been a lot of talk about whether they would like to re- keep Roy Hodgson in with another season in the Premier League next season. Paulo Fonseca from Roma, they, 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 there's consideration of him. Even Frank Lampard's name came up once. Steve Cooper at Swansea. So there's been a few names thrown about of whether they would like to change the way that they do it. Uh, with Palace, just like how Brighton did with Grand Potter. So that's a decision that, that management really needs to take into consideration when they make that decision. But yeah, they've got like, I think a dozen players out of contract this end of the season. Mamadou Sako here is leaving. McCarthy, they might not consider. Patrick Van Arnold, they want to keep him there. So this, I think with, with Everton, there's a more clear, crystallized what they want to do with Carlo Ancelotti. Unfortunately, they've, they've still got two games in hand on, on most of the teams. Yeah. So there's still a chance for them to move into the European spots. But it's another season without silverware. That's what they probably brought him in to do. He will attract players because of his name. So I think Everton have got more confirmed vision what they want to do. Palace have got a lot of decisions that they make, need to make this end season. Yeah, this is this is a, a big game for Everton. It's a 1 a.m. kickoff uh, early Tuesday morning. And then at 3.15, you've got Wolves against West Ham. A game to test West Ham's top four credentials, Nicholas Arnil. Are they serious about making Champions League football? Uh, well, they got to win this one, haven't they? Yeah. Um, I think David Moyes has done exceptionally. Everyone in, in, in the uh, Premier League would, would testify to that as well. I think if, there's a, if, they, if you were to put a short list for best managers right now, you know, David Moyes would be right up there uh, because of the work he's done. You know, he's got, he's got a wonderful squad with him, you know, uh, a, a players, a, a blend of experience, you know, mixed with, with players with a lot of flair. Uh, what he's missing is perhaps uh, a renowned striker. Mikhail Antonio, uh, while he is good, you know, he, he's not a striker which gets you 20, 30 goals a season. So uh, just barring that, you know, West Ham are almost complete side. And I really think, you know, they have what it takes to uh, get three points against a Wolf side who have not been themselves. Uh, we will all admit that they've not been themselves. They've lost a couple of key players over the last few seasons. Uh, you know, uh, the coaches uh, somehow try to bring in some reinforcements, uh, but it's not really worked out just yet. So uh, Wolves are still finding their feet, uh, but West Ham are very clear about their intentions. And I think, you know, uh, they are on course for a win tonight. Yeah, well, good news for Wolves is that uh, Rui Patricio who suffered a head injury against Liverpool two weeks ago. It looks like it wasn't as serious as, as first expected. So he's probably going to keep goal for Wolves. That one's a 3.15 a.m. kickoff. That, those two games wrap up the Premier League uh, round. Then you've got Champions League over Tuesday and Wednesday night, or which is Wednesday and Thursday morning, our time. Real Madrid versus Liverpool is extremely tasty Craig Wilkie it's Wednesday 3 a.m Real Madrid are well they're actually in good form at the moment nine wins two draws in their last 11 games they've kept touch with Atletico in La Liga and it's very much considered that Real Madrid well they've they've not had the best seasons as well you know in in terms of player recruitment their star signing Eden Hazard has spent more time in on on the sick bed than than on the pitch, and but still, I guess the big news for you this one is uh, Sergio Ramos. He won't be available. Yeah, it's big news. It's a uh, it's a huge game, isn't it? And it's one of those ones that I think we've got so used to watching football over the course of this season with no fans present, and we know how dispiriting that is in a way. Um, but it's really when we get to this stage of the season that I think we start to miss it all the more. And when we look forward to preview some of these games, you know, just think how different occasion it would be if you had full houses for, for those games. Yeah. But it's still going to be still going to be a massive game. Um, if we'd been having this conversation a month ago, I, I don't think I would have been feeling very confident about it at all, given some of the problems that Liverpool had back then, especially, especially defensively. Um, but given the way that they've tightened that up, as we were discussing earlier in the show, and the return to form of some players, and maybe a player like Jota coming in and making a difference who might not have even been on the radar too much for a game like this, even, even a few weeks ago, could make things really interesting. And I just think that when we, look at the, when we look at Premier League sides against the other big leagues in Europe, actually in the last, this season, the last couple of seasons, they've done very well. So 
I, I don't think that Liverpool necessarily start as big underdogs in this game. I, I don't see a lot of these, these big elite clubs from the rest of the continent as necessarily far ahead of, definitely not far ahead of City and not that far ahead of the other English clubs either. So I think we're going to have some very competitive games, including this one. And yes, Real would start as slight favourites in my book, but not by, not by very far. Yeah, um, Real, quite simply, have to win this game, have to not let Liverpool score. Maybe even a 1-0 is something to take over to Anfield, Arvin Zidu. Definitely. Uh, but their record without Ramos in the Champions League is yeah. horrendous. Well, this is ten game, yeah, 10 games. They've lost seven out of them without Ramos. Because Ramos is not about... He's still physically a very good defender. He's still very athletic. But it's the, the influence and the leadership that he brings in the it's know-how. It's housery. Say it exactly, exactly. <laughs> the dark arts, and he will know how to play. He will know how to play these games. So, uh, Varane and Nacho have got a big task to step up. But yeah. if if there's any part of the, the this two teams with the matchup where the game might be won is that Real have that that Trident in midfield, the Casimiro, the Cruz, the the Modric. If they can control that game against Fabino, who's an excellent player, and also Thiago. But if they if they come out of that controlling that part of the pitch then Real should be able to go through. But still, I agree with Craig on this one. I wouldn't even put Real favourites. I would say it's a 50-50 for this. Yeah, I'd say because they're both they're, equal going into they're this. They're both equal, yeah. So it's going to make really interesting reading. Liverpool have to go for the win, not revenge. Forget Kiev. Focus on the win. Forget about the emotions of it. And then that will put them in a good stead. So yeah, I, I can't personally count wait for this one. Tasty. It's Wednesday, 3 a.m. Man City versus Borussia Dortmund. I can tell you Dortmund will be the team who are scared going into this one. Uh, they're currently fifth in the Bundesliga. They missed out on a chance to close in on fourth spot. They, they lost to the fourth place team, Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, 2-1 home defeat. Um, Erling Haaland, we talked about on Friday, disgusting how he's being hawked about at the moment by his agent and his dad. But that aside, Dortmund, uh, Man City versus Dortmund, Nicholas Anil. It's got to be a City win, really. Yeah, and I also think that Haaland will be given the stadium tour of Man City when he comes. <laughs> I'm sure uh, he because, will. Uh, because um, out of all the clubs that have been, you know, trying to prize him away from Dortmund, uh, City, for me, looked the most uh, likely to get their hands on him. Uh, simply because they've decided to let go of Sergio Aguero. Uh, which I, I found that decision to be slightly baffling. For me, Aguero should be able to leave on his own terms. He should, even though his contract ends this season, he should perhaps be given at least another year extension, you know, to 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 establish himself. Not not just to establish himself, to cement his his legendary status in in Man City for all the work that he's done for them. But uh, City obviously have uh, a reasoning behind uh, letting him go, um, and and the reason is that they've either got their eyes on Haaland or Kylian Mbappe. And for me, I think this this is an audition for for Man City to use it to get to get Haaland because. Even if they don't win the Champions League, Pep Guardiola can use this as an excuse to tell Haaland that this is the missing jigsaw. He will be the missing jigsaw for them to eventually get their hands um, on, on, the, on, on Haaland uh, come next season. But, um, you know, just uh, focusing on the match, uh, it's, it's definitely cities to, to win, uh, Ross. You, you don't see any other way yeah. uh, beyond it. You know, they are, they are going great guns at this point. You know, as you mentioned, uh, Dortmund have fallen off the Champions League places. You know, um, some of the players have not just uh, lived up to the expectations. You know, the likes of Julian Brandt, Marco Royce, you know, um, even uh, Jadon Sancho. You know, there's too much of reliance on Haaland to produce the goods. And when he doesn't, uh, very rarely, albeit, uh, you know, uh, Dortmund failed to deliver. And, you know, it's the perfect opportunity for Manchester City to uh, get a comfortable advantage. I would say comfortable in this first leg. The reported numbers involving Erling Haaland are, are just through the roof. It's crazy. 150 mil to buy him. He, he apparently, reportedly, won 600,000 a week. You do the math. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, le- le- uh, the other Champions League team, Chelsea against Porto, or rather Porto-Chelsea. A week ago, I'd say Chelsea, hot favourites. But having seen them capitulate against West Brom, and also the fact that Porto are on a 19-game unbeaten run in the league. They're nicely in second, still trailing Sporting. Suddenly, it doesn't look too black and white, does it, Craig Wilkie, this one? 
Yeah, well, it's, that's, that's why it's such an interesting game, isn't it? I, yeah. I, think, I think when we, we were all watching the draw, everybody was looking at it and going, oh, who's going to get Porto? And they'll be feeling quite good about themselves. And there was maybe some disrespect around all of that. I mean, as you say, they're on a pretty good run of form domestically and have a very fine European pedigree over the seasons. And it's not an accident that they're there at this stage of the Champions League. And so anybody at Chelsea who thinks this is an easy game will, will probably find that that's, that's proven otherwise. Uh, but this is where we'll find out whether it was a blip at the weekend, whether yeah. it was just something extraordinary that happened in that, in that West Brom game, or whether there are bigger issues that were possibly there under Lampard and that Tuchel's going to have to address over the longer term. And he knows that it's the first real, it's, it's definitely not a crisis of his tenure or leadership, but the first real question marks over how his team is going to respond. So from that point of view, it's, it's probably good that they have this kind of a fixture. You know, it's a big game, something completely different to focus on. And I actually think Chelsea will, will come back and put in a performance. I mean, whether, whether they actually win on the night or not, I think, I think they will recover from, from what happened at the weekend. But Porto will have been watching that game and just looking at how West Brom were carving them open. Yeah. And they'll have definitely taken some, some lessons from that. So it'll be very interesting to see how Tuchel approaches it. If he goes for a very, very defensive way of just trying to tighten things up, or if he wants to really make a, make a mark and make a statement of, of going out and trying to win 2 or 3 nil. All right. Well, the other Champions League game, also very tasty. Bayern against PSG. Bayern beat Leipzig at the weekend. The title's almost theirs. PSG lost at home to Lille, their second against Lyon. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Europa League, it's Arsenal against Slavia Prague. Don't need to tell you how big a game that is for Arteta and Arsenal. That's Friday, 3 a.m., Granada versus Man United. I learned that Roberto Soldado it plays for Granada. They lost 3-0 at home to Villarreal at the weekend. Currently ninth in La Liga. That's all the time we have to cover those games. I'm going to have to say thanks to the guys. So thank you, Nicholas Anil. Thank you, Ross. Thanks, Arvin Sidhu. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week. And Craig Wilkie, have a great week too. Thank you. Lots of great football still to look forward to. Yeah, brilliant stuff. We'll talk about all that on Friday. Everybody, have yourselves a great week. Bye now. Off the ball every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.